Good morning. I'll move this aside here. It's been such a joy to be here these last uh, four months. Um, this is my fourth time over these last four months. And um, I was just, just talking with Grayson earlier, but I, I had actually heard of the birth of this church many years ago and have been thinking and praying for this church uh, for years. And, and so sort of keeping up. Um, and it's been such a delight to now get to know Mark as a friend these last year and a half or so. You all, you, sh- you should know this. You have this wonderful reputation. There's stories about this church all throughout my circles, and you all are a great encouragement. Um, I really thought about uh, this church as I was preparing this sermon from Third John this morning. So we're going to look at Third John in a moment. Um, but um, b- before I start, uh, well, before we get to, I'm, I've already started, sorry. <laughs> uh, before we get to Third John, um, think about this, this one uh, image. I remember a short story I read years ago um, by Ray Bradbury, this science fiction writer. And he wrote this short story in the 1950s. It was called A, a Sound of Thunder. And the premise was it takes place in the year like 2055 or something, and they've invented time travel, um, but they know that they can't mess with the past. And so the premise is, is that you can go back in time and this, uh, to, if you're a big game hunter and kill a dinosaur, but only the dinosaurs that they had realized were about to die of a natural death or a tree falling on them. You were allowed to go back in time to that moment and then bag the dinosaur yourself but you go back 600 million years, and so the story, these hunters go back, and there's these elevated walkways, because you can't even step on the ground, because that could affect the past. And um, so in the short story, they go back in time, but the, the hunter uh, panics and steps off the path um, at the sight of the dinosaur, shoots the dinosaur, and then they're transported back to the, to, to the current day. Um, and he gets back to his life. And as the, his day begins to unfold, he just sees all the words are spelled differently. They have all these hard K's in them. And people are harsher and um, meaner. And it turns out the new president that just got elected uh, is a fascist dictator. And so... Um, in the, in the context of like realizing what had happened, he looks down and he sees under uh, under his the heel of his shoe that he had there was a dead butterfly that in that one step off the path he had killed this tiny butterfly and that removed that changed everything that removed all this beauty from the world that made people harsher just whatever you know so you see the premise all right that might seem sort of bizarre why am I talking about that. The book of 3 John is the tiniest little book in the New Testament. It's the shortest little book. It's a little butterfly of a book. But if we ignore this book, or if it gets crushed under our feet, I'm very afraid of the world that would have become. If this book had not been included in the scriptures, I don't even want to imagine 
what sort of world we'd be living in now. Now, this, this part, of course, is speculation. Why would God include this one little book? And at, there's at least these three powerful themes that we're going to see in this little book that I'm very afraid of who the church would have become had these three themes not been emphasized. Now, the themes are in the rest of Scripture as well, but it's a little butterfly of a book. And we need, we need a world, we need a church where there is, we need a world, would you want to live in a world um, like we're living in now, but without hospitals, without health care, your health mattering? So this theme is in the little butterfly book of Third John. Would you want to live in a, in a church where uh, the harsh and powerful are in control of the church? By God's grace, that's not what's happened through 2,000 years of church history. And part of that is because of the little butterfly book of Third John. And would you want to, well, I'll just put it this way. Would I want to have taken the ferry over last night and then had to sleep in my car because this church doesn't have any hospitality or kindness. No, I get to stay in a wonderful bed and breakfast of the Middlecoff's home when I, when, I, when I come over. This beautiful theme of hospitality that has characterized the Christian church and characterized y'all's church for a couple decades now um, is in the little butterfly book of Third John. So, See if you can go with me in my speculation. You might find some other themes that we're so glad were included and that have changed the course of history because the church has valued these things. But I think we'll at least find those three things. So let's turn to the book of 3 John itself and hear it now. This is uh, um, almost certainly written by the Apostle John who wrote the Gospel of John and then the first two letters. And here's the third, third epistle in the scriptures. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. 
we also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. Let's pray together. Lord, what a beautiful little butterfly of a book this is. How thankful we are for the strength of it to the rebukes that we see and hear against evil and how thankful we are for the beauty of it. And so we praise you that you speak to us. You have spoken to your church for 2,000 years um, and you continue to speak to us today. So open our hearts to receive your word in Christ's name. Amen. John, who wrote this epistle, also, of course, wrote the Gospel of John. And we heard a, a bit of it already in the service today, that God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is a God who loves the whole world. And you remember how, as Jesus was finishing his earthly ministry, he commissioned his apostles to go out with this word. We know that God's love for this whole world is the, the umbrella over everything that we do. And we also know that wherever we go, there he is. God is present. And he makes his presence known. But how? He makes his presence known by his people. The way that this incredible good news of God's own son coming and suffering in our place to reconcile us to God so that now we have peace with God and we're made sons and daughters of God, that was a localized truth. It was an eternal truth, but it was kept local there in Jerusalem and its environs until the people of God began to go out. Now, do you think that this gospel, this is speculation, but do you think that this gospel would have made it to the tip of Long Island in North America, if whenever God's people went out to spread the word, their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ slammed the door on them or greeted them with, well, sleep in your car, you'll be fine. How, do you think that the gospel would have spread the way it spread apart from this beauty of the Holy Spirit making a people hospitable? And I think it wouldn't have. <laughs> That's my guess. That's a backwards way of saying it's precisely this method of Christians loving each other that is the method God uses and used to bring the gospel to us and continues to bring the gospel to us. And the new church that, Lord willing, will be started in Stony Brook. It will be through God's people loving each other. This is the method by which this good news of Christ is made present and made real. So I forgot to look up to get the exact references, but if you want to take the Long Island Railroad out here, what's the nearest stop to where we are here? South. The Southampton stop, okay. And you take it from Union Station or, or from, from, from Penn Station? Okay. So I'm the, sorry, I'm a, Met I'm a Metro North guy. I take you know, <laughs> Grand Central to New Haven. Sorry about that. Okay, so you're taking Penn Station 
all the way to Southampton. Okay, good. So that's my, that's my little analogy here. Okay. Here in this little book of 3 John is this invitation that God gives us to join with his work. And in the, in the words of that great uh, Motown song, to get on board the, the love train, the peace, the, the peace train. Um, wait, no, it's love train. Yeah, love train, but it, it's about peace too. Um, yeah, somebody hum that for us. Anyway, people all around the world um, join hands, get on board the love train. Okay. This is the journey. This is the journey of the gospel, this journey of being on this journey together. Um, but there's lots of ways in which people tend to get off the train and they get off way too soon. So here's the analogy. You get on board in Penn Station and the first stop you get to is called Solo. Don't get off. Stay on board the love train. Don't get off the first stop, the Solo stop. Okay, so what are we seeing here in 3 John? 3 John has, uh, we, we meet four people here essentially. We meet John himself. We meet um, probably the pastor of a church, Gaius, the one receiving this letter. We, we meet um, a fellow named Demetrius, who most likely was the one carrying the letter, a fellow servant of the Lord. And then we meet this fellow, Diatrophes. Diatrophes gets off at stop number one, Solo Station. He is joined in this movement, but we see that Diatrophes is described in verse 9. He likes to put himself first. He likes to put himself first. He'll stay on board the train as long as the train is all about him. But at stop number one, if, if the train needs to be all about you, that's where you get off. And this is um, don't follow diatrophies. We're going to keep circling back to that theme here. Um, has anybody seen this recent um, um, documentary on the National Geographic channel, Free Solo? If you saw it, okay. See, and the, he just lights up. So, Ray, everyone needs to see, it's, it's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. It's, I can't remember the guy's name, but it's about like, basically the most accomplished um, free climber um, who climbs rock faces without even ropes. And it's, it's the documentary of how he climbed um, El Capitan in um, Yosemite. And no one had ever done that before. And... Um, he does it, he survives, so you can watch it without being terrified. But you'll watch it and you'll be terrified. Uh, it, it, he climbs the face of this rock. It, it, it's, it's stunning. It's, it, it, may, it may be the most unbelievable athletic accomplishment like in the history of humanity. I can't even think of anything that compares to what this fellow did. Um, is that what the Christian life is like, though? <laughs> Is it meant to be this sort of extraordinary exertion of energy where you're all on your own and it's all up to you and your skill and strength and expertise and it's all up to you and you don't even have ropes holding you on? 
Is that, is that what? No, no, no. That's, that's not the Christian life. Diatrophies might try to describe the Christian life that way. Diatrophies wants to be known and famous. He's first. But that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is a group project. We stay on board this love train. We don't get off at the first stop. Again, that simple description in verse 9, he likes to put himself first. That is a description of our human original sin. That is our default position. Apart from grace, that phrase describes me and it describes you. And then as we grow in grace, we begin to notice the ways in which that pops up in our lives. The ways in which I don't let a person finish their thought, I interrupt with my thought. The ways in which I, you know, just, I, I go to the shortest line and don't let anybody get in front of me. Just all these little ways that are my default mode where other people need to get out of my way. I put myself first. That little phrase is the description of human sin and none of us are immune to it. And in fact, none of us were born without it already in the shape of our heart. This is the nature of our fallenness. And so diatrophies is just being normal and he's being human. But you see, the love train, the Christian church, is supernatural. It's a way of living under God and with God. And so we stay on this train together. All right, so we keep going. We've left Penn Station. We're passing through Solo Station. We're not going to get off. And now we get to this second stop. And we're going to call this the No Truth Station. Where I'm on this journey. I don't want to do it by myself. I want other people around me. But, you know, there's really no such thing as truth. There's a, I'm going to get off at the station and we're all just going to meander in a thousand different directions. We've already read in the scriptures in our, in our worship service today the clarity, and we, and we heard it in, even in our absolution from, from sin, the clarity of Jesus Christ as the truth, as the one um, who, who provides the sort of salvation that can't be gotten in any other way. There is no other way by which a person can be reconciled to God than by God's own Son making that reconciliation possible. In another little wonderful observation about this tiny butterfly of a book, Third John, is it's, it's actually the only book in the New Testament that doesn't uh, mention the name of Jesus. It doesn't that's sort of a trick question. It doesn't mention the name of Jesus, but it actually does by mentioning the name. So reference to the name is actually a reference to Jesus. And this is where, this is where John says, um, what verse is that? Verse 7. For they have gone out for the sake of the name. For the sake of the name. And we know that, um, that this is a, just a, a, a clear reference to Christ himself. For example, when, the, when Peter preached in the book of Acts, and he preached this Jesus, he is the stone that we rejected, but he became the cornerstone. 
And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other name. So Jesus is not a name. He is the name. And so when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life, he's not saying I am a way, a truth. So we don't get off at no truth station saying Jesus is, maybe he's my truth, maybe even he's your truth, but he's not the truth. No, we stay on this train because we know Jesus is the truth. He is the name. There, if, if we can conceive, I mean, it would take a science fiction author way infinitely more creative than Ray Bradbury to conceive of some other method by which we could be reconciled to a holy God. There is no other method. He is the way, the name, the truth. So we stay on board this wonderful uh, love train. And, and by the way, if um, I at least wanted to give you a resource, if my sermon ended up being a complete dud, you have on the front of your bulletin this wonderful summary from J.I. Packer. And you can take that home. And you've been given a resource about what Christian unity and Christian truth looks like, what it looks like to have truth together. All right, so there it is for you. All right, but we're staying on this train, and now there's a third stop that, that we have to pass through. We can, cannot get off this third stop. We have to get all the way to Southampton. There's a third stop that tempts us to get off. And um, there's, a, there's a new word that entered the um, English dictionary, I think it was like four or five years ago, and it was contributed to our culture by the Simpsons TV show. And it's a three-letter word. It's the word M-E-H. The word meh. So that's, that just became this thing in The Simpsons where it's not it's sort of like in Spanish, come see, come saw. You know, like not good, not bad. Meh. So that's the, that's the third station to make sure you pass through. Don't get off at meh station. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that we see John saying in this book, in this little letter, there is no greater joy. I have no greater joy, verse 4, than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. I see this love train. They're not getting off at solo station. They're not getting off at no truth station. They're building the church together, together, walking in truth together, and that gives me joy. But for some of us, we're tempted to just think, ah, the church, meh. I mean, there's a lot of things going, you know, there's a lot of things that get my attention. And I remember um, travel, one of the ways this, this began, the Lord began to deepen my love for the church and to better um, immunize me against the meh attitude. Because I, I grew up in the church, but I sort of treated it like a meh until I met Jesus personally in college. And, and then he began to deepen my appreciation for the beauty of the Christian church, the beauty of the body of Christ, this, this, this journey where we're walking together in the truth. Um, during my years when I was in the Navy. 
And in the Navy, when you're out to sea for these long deployments, um, it can be pretty lonely, and there weren't necessarily a lot of fellow brothers and sisters in Christ on board the ship. But every now and then, it's hard work and all that, but every now and then we'd get to make a, a port visit. And during my years in the Navy, I just was stunned. I was stunned because wherever our ship pulled in, whether it was Mombasa, Kenya, or Bahrain, or Haifa, Israel, or Izmir, Turkey, or Palma, Mallorca, or Leon, France, or the Isle of Man in the North Sea, wherever our ship would pull in, I'd walk around town and I could find a Christian church. And if I happened to get to be there on a Sunday, those worship services that I got to enjoy in these other countries it just gave me this sense that I, the church was not meh. The church was this most beautiful thing. It was the one worldwide, truly Catholic, truly universal presence. Because the simple strategy that Jesus used He did not allow the little butterfly to be crushed. The simple strategy that Jesus used of brothers and sisters going out and being welcomed by the church, being welcomed by Gaius, being welcomed by Demetrius. This is a letter against the Diotrephes nature in our hearts, and it's a letter that encourages the Gaiusness, the Demetriusness of our hearts. In my work um, helping to coordinate church planting in, in Connecticut um, and then around the country, I was just talking with, with Leslie last night, but um, one of our newest church planting, uh, church planter um, rec- recruits, um, he and his wife are fairly newly wed, and so they haven't yet sort of developed this sort of lifestyle of hospitality where they're just constantly opening up their homes um, as, as Mark and Leslie have done from the start and as so many of you have done from the start. And they will. They're, they're excited to do that, but they know that that's, that's not something that's just going to come to them by default, that they're going to have to very consciously vivify and bring to life this Demetriusness, this Gaiusness, um, they're going to have to bring it to life, to, to exercise hospitality. Um, and because they, they see the beauty of the body of Christ and its essential necessity here in Long Island and around Connecticut and around the country. Also in my work, it, this helped me to, illust- helped me to understand and, and appreciate this passage this week. In my work, as we try to, with our group called Mission Anabino, which is the word for the ascension of Christ, mission under the ascension of Christ, as we try to coordinate and, and help get new churches planted around the country as well, we every so often get um, someone reaches out to us who is planting, in the process of planting a church. And they want to be connected with our movement because our movement has, and I'm not being weird about it, has like awesome people like Mark as part of it, like just a network of like brothers that encourage each other. So people reach out to us and they say, how can I be part of Mission and Abino? And uh, anyway, this is just to illustrate this point. This is the, this is the anti-meh moment. One of the fellows that reached out to us this week has re- reached the height of like 
American human athletic achievement. He won a World Series with the New York Yankees as a pitcher. But he wants to plant a church of Jesus Christ in the state of Michigan. That's what matters to him more than anything else. And he'll be the first one to tell you that. You can Google him afterwards. He's actually, well, anyway, uh, his name is Dan Nalty. Um, and he just, just, that was just my most recent example of somebody that just was not going to get off at that third stop. The third stop is the stop where you, where you treat the church like it's anything else in this world. And like, it's, it's worth, worth my time maybe a little bit, but meh. No, this fellow is like the church. The presence of Jesus Christ in this town is the most beautiful thing on planet Earth. You know that the whole scriptures tell this story, right? It begins with a wedding and it ends with a wedding where we are the bride of Christ. You know that's why Jesus had his first miracle be at a wedding. We are the most beautiful thing happening on on planet Earth. The church of Jesus Christ. Wherever people are on this love train, they haven't gone off on stop number one, living life, putting themselves number one. No, they're in it together. They haven't wandered off into a thousand directions because there's a thousand different truths. No, they're walking in the truth of Jesus together. And they're not treating the church of Jesus Christ as just one of a billion things. They know it's the most beautiful creation of God in this world. And so they're moving forward. So... As we wrap up, as we sort of bring it home for our own hearts this morning, we have this very simple verse, verse 11. I, I'm just so thankful for simple truths that I can hold on to. Verse 11, just here, after John talks about um, diatrophies, and diatrophies is fallen nature, which we're going to look at a little bit in just a moment. Um, He then says in verse 11, Beloved, don't imitate evil, but imitate good. It's just a very simple summary. Don't imitate evil, but imitate good. Don't follow the example of Diatrophes, but follow the example of Gaius, of Demetrius. Um, So, in order to not follow the example of of evil, in order to not imitate evil, in order to not follow the example of diatrophies, let's look for a moment at the way the, these sort of sin tendencies that are present in all of our hearts. The original sin we've already seen is right there in verse 9, putting yourself first. But then it takes this other shape. And I'll just, I'll just describe it in, in this sort of way. Imagine... Imagine what's happening in real space and real time when uh, the church that Gaius is the pastor of is now being visited by Demetrius, and he's got a letter from John. Now, a number of people in that church welcomed Demetrius and were glad to get a new word from God, the authority of the apostles. But it says Diatrophes was not like that. So that's the way the church reacted in such a way to keep the gospel moving forward. But within the church were people like Diatrophes. And these, like these gradations that John takes us through from verses 9 to 10. So then there's a, the first type of person just like, yes, we're so glad you're here. Thank you, God. 
will receive this letter, will act accordingly, will believe in Jesus. But the second type of person notices that this, this visitor is here with a letter and that, that visitor just says, you know, I guess it's okay that this guy is visiting us, but I do not recognize the authority of this letter. So that's what um, does not acknowledge our authority. That's the phrase there in verse 9. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be part of this people of God, but I actually, the scriptures aren't my authority. That's this, this, that's this other, this first gradation of sin that Diatrophes is the example of. Like, I'm happy to be part of this group as long as you let me get my way every now and then and all that, but, but I don't receive the authority of the word of God. Now, if that describes you, then I, I then, um, I hope that we can all be soft-hearted about that and say, but is it possible that the Word of God really, that the Bible it really is what Christians say is the Word of God? I am open to that. I'd love to talk with the people here and figure out whether I can start to come to some faith that this is truly God's Word. I have questions about it. It seems to contradict itself or it has these harsh eye for an eye, whatever. I need some help with figuring this out. Okay, if that describes you, that's beautiful. That's why this church is here. The, the church has, has been used by God for that sort of ad, person for 2,000 years. But that's not diatrophies. Diatrophies is just like, get this out of my face. I do not recognize it as, recognize it as authority. I'm not even open to it as authority. We wouldn't say that out loud, but are there moments when that's how we receive the word of God, these commands to give our life away for others, <laughs> to hold my tongue instead of making the chippy comment. Like, I don't want the word of God in my face. And so that's why the confession of sin, by the way, we all already confessed this morning, was very honest. We acknowledged that we can be like this in that confession of sin. You got tricked into saying it, by the way, if you didn't read the fine print. We all already confess that we have these diatrophies tendencies in our hearts, and so it's good to just slow down and look at them so that we can repent of them more, more, more clearly. Well, then the next, so, so the, the, gospel, the, the letter from John comes, and some people are like, praise God, thank you for this new letter. Other people are like, I don't recognize it as authority. But then there's a third group of people that, um, not only do I not recognize it as authority, I'm going to invent wicked nonsense about John and the apostles. That gets, that gets dark. That gets dark when, when, um, in, when and some, some unbelieving Bible scholars love to make up stories about the supposed misogyny of the Apostle Paul and all these sorts of things, this sort of talking wicked nonsense. So that's just, that gets dark and that's a deeper level. But then it still gets darker because Diotrephes is not content with that he refuses to welcome the brothers. He, and, and then it gets darker than that. It's not just that, like, I'm not going to let you sleep in my house. He goes out of his way to find out whose house they're sleeping in. And he goes and kicks them out of those people's house. Like, he uses his energy to prohibit hospitality. Not just like hospitality, I'm not all that into it, but uses his energy to kill hospitality. This is how dark it can get. And then even worse than that, it's the sort of person that would find out the middle coughs hosted me last night 
not only kick me out and make me sleep in the car or whatever, but then take you before the Presbytery of Metro New York Presbytery to get you excommunicated for the sin of hospitality. Like it's bizarre the depths of sin that, that Diotrephes goes to here. Aren't we glad this little butterfly of a book didn't get crushed? What if the diatrophies of the early church had been the ones to shape the church? What if they had been the ones to shape the culture of the church? By God's grace, because of this letter and the other letters, they were not allowed to shape the culture of the church. Do you remember that wonderful thing that Martin Luther King Jr. used to say regularly? We're not called to be... I always have to get it right, sorry. (laughs) We're not called to be thermometers we're called to be thermostats we're not called to reflect the culture and the temperature we're called to set the culture and the temperature we're not called to be thermometers we're called to be thermostats make no mistake diatrophies was trying to be a thermostat he was trying to shape the culture. If he just like, wasn't into hospitality, he would have just left it alone. No, he was trying to shape the culture and make the church an anti-hospitality place. If you won't be a thermostat, it's not, that, it's not as if no one will. Satan will use the forces of evil and the vacuum will be filled. And the temperature and the culture of the church will be set. But when we're living according to our new nature in Christ... We are regularly, you know, the process of sanctification is this dual process of vivification, bringing to life this generosity, figuring out ways to encourage that and nurture that in each other and in your own heart. And it's the process of mortification, like Voldemort, you know, putting to death these diatrophies tendencies. There was an early um, poem I was taught by one of my professors early in my Christian life, and it sort of sums all this up. He, He described the process of sanctification with this simple poem. Two natures live within my breast. One is cursed, one is blessed. One I love, one I hate. The one I feed will dominate. I'll say it again. Two natures live within my breast. One, Diatrophes, is cursed. One, Demetrius, is blessed. One I love, one I hate, the one I feed will dominate. That's why you have built into your worship service these moments of confession of sin. Because you are regularly, as a people of God, mortifying. You're putting to death the the Diatrophes tendencies that we all have. And you're asking God to vivify who you really are in Christ and who this church has always been, just to continue to be that. So, Jesus has brought us on board this love train. Yes, people in the church can tend to get off at the first stop, solo stop, or get off at the second stop, no truth stop, or get off at the third stop, Meh, station. But those who are held by Jesus only step off for just a bit and the Lord just sweeps us right back on board. He will not let us be lost. He will not let us get off the station and wander around forever. We're tempted 
But he has us as his people. Nothing will separate us. This is why John can write this letter to his best, a good friend, Gaius, who was beloved with such confidence. And this is why we can continue to do the very simple and beautiful uh, moments in the life of the church together like a cleanup day, like other engage events that you do or embrace events or encounter events and know that God is present. God is in those things. God is using that simple method. It might seem like a little tiny butterfly, but it's the method that has changed the world and is going to keep changing you. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the friendships that you form within the body of Christ, the friendship that John had with Gaius and Demetrius. Thank you for the friends that you have given us in the body of Christ. And though I don't know these dear brothers and sisters super, super well, Uh, In these last four months, I just thank you for the friendship that has been formed. And I thank you for how you have strengthened my faith and my joy through these brothers and sisters. For those of us just in need of of deeper friendships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. um, Help us to be um, just doing our part to, to confess our diatrophies nature, confess that If there's any ways in which we're putting up barriers by putting ourselves first or whatever, we just confess those things. But give us the gift of Christian fellowship and friendship in ways that change our lives and change the world. Thank you so much for this precious church. Bless this church in every way. In Christ's name, amen.